Welcome to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Solomon Timothy. I'm Taylor Rowe. Today's episode, we had a guest on. We had Tony Burke, who is the CEO of Pivot Health Advisors, really to just talk about the current state of you know the global pandemic that we're in with the coronavirus, what that means for his industry, which he supports primarily the healthcare space. So what's going on there from uh, you know overall logistics perspective, as well as from a leadership standpoint. So if you are a, uh, a leader of any kind, any kind of team, I think this would be a very beneficial podcast for you to listen to Tony and some of the strategies that he implements for his clients in terms of improving your overall leadership skills and really understanding and knowing how to handle a time of crisis. Very excited to have our guest on the uh, Growth Marketers podcast today, Tony Burke, who is the CEO of Pivot Health Advisors. Tony, before we jump in, if you wouldn't mind kind of giving uh, our listeners an overview, kind of a background of who you are and, and what you do, and of course, what Pivot does. Absolutely. No, thank you. I appreciate you having me. And just a little bit about me. I spent about the last 25 years in healthcare working for the American Hospital Association. I was on the executive team at the AHA. and my role there is I was also the CEO of two of their for-profit subsidiary companies, bringing services out under the AHA brand and, and under the AHA's organization into the, you know, the 5,000 member hospitals across the country. And I then left the AHA and started Pivot Health Advisors with a group of former health system executives, primarily CEOs, that were very involved in the association. We got to know each other and started a consulting practice to help organizations really understand what's happening in the transformation of, of the healthcare space, but also the nuances, the roadblocks, the politics, bureaucracies, decision-making issues and channels that drive success for organizations trying to sell into the healthcare space. So we work with healthcare systems. We work with healthcare companies and vendors to provide them strategy and counsel. Absolutely. And that experience in the healthcare space is exactly why uh, we wanted to have you on the podcast today. Obviously, uh, this is a, a marketing podcast and primarily we talk about digital marketing. But if you're watching, you can see that we're all recording this from our, our home office uh, in the middle of this uh, coronavirus pandemic. So we wanted to you know, tap into some of our sort of trusted advisors in the healthcare space. And obviously you have a a pulse on you know what's going on, what successful companies are doing right now, what unsuccessful companies are doing right now. And I know you also at, at Pivot and you personally have a lot of experience in sort of leadership coaching and training. And so anybody that's listening that is in a, any kind of a leadership role, we want to make sure that we're providing them some action items and some ideas on how they can actually lead through a time of crisis, whether it's a global pandemic like this or any kind of turbulence within their organization. So Tony, what sort of advice would you give to someone in a leadership role when dealing with a crisis like this? It's a great question. And, you know, before I answer or go into it, I have to do this out of just my own passion, but it's to express gratitude and thanks to everybody who's out there in the healthcare space, because I've been in this, this field for a long time and, we're, you know, we're calling these folks heroes right now. These guys are heroes every day. This is what they do. And they're, they're just stepping in like they always do to provide care at times when others, you know, we always say when, they, when others have to run away, we'll run too. And so just gratitude to the field, gratitude to caregivers for their sacrifices and, and their diligence to help us all through this crisis. But I think you know, when you go to the leadership question around you know, how leaders need to step in to their leadership roles right now. You know, the first thing I like to say to the folks that we're talking to, we're, we're talking to healthcare leaders, we're talking to business leaders across the country. And the first message is there's no playbook. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's been, you know, what, 1918 since the last time we saw something of this magnitude. You don't remember what you did last time yeah. there was a global pandemic? Yeah, I may not, I may look old, but I'm not that old, you know. <laughs> But no, so, so the, the first one is, is to take a deep breath. And this is uncharted waters you know, right. for everybody. And so the current playbooks have to be kind of tossed out the window a bit. And some of this is just straight up leadership. So they talk about leadership in crisis. This is just leadership. Yeah. And you're just being drawn on in, in a sense of magnitude and a circumstance that we've probably not been in before. So, you know, the, the trick here is not to try to outsmart 
you know, the circumstance. It's, mm-hmm. it's play on your strengths and to focus on the fundamentals of what you know. And, you know, there's a saying that, you know, if you don't own the circumstance, the circumstance owns you. Yeah. And so leaders, if you're not in control and you're acting from a defensive position or responding, then you're in a lose position. You're in defense. It's those leaders that are starting by taking that collective calm, you know, one, taking care of yourself as a leader. You can't make sound decisions as a leader if you're unhealthy, if you're tired, if you're drained and strained and stressed. That's not a position you want to be in. So first is take care of yourself. Take time away. Meditate. Do the things you do. Stay in your routines for health, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, whatever that is, and, and make sure you, you maintain that. The second one is, is to lead from a sense of your core, your core values. Um, don't let the circumstance control you. Is Always rely on what you know is right. Hospitals, in this case, the, the health systems, you know, they're mission-driven. At their core, they do good. They do good work for people. And don't forget that. And center yourself back on why, you know, why you're in this business. And it's that value of care, nurturing, and treating people and caring for people in all times. And, you know, when faced with a difficult decision, don't react. Don't react out of fear. Mm -hmm. Settle back in, take that deep cleansing breath and say, what's the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. I don't want to go back and read policy. Mm, you know, right. about what I should be doing here. What's the right thing to do? And you're seeing just brilliant and wonderful examples of selflessness, creativity, of how leaders are creating open territories for people to make decisions. Don't thwart people's ability to make quick judgments because it's not written in your playbook. Yeah. Uh, allow people to do what they need to do based on their own commitments, their own connections to their values, because they will make smart choices. And we are seeing a great deal of that. So, you know, focus on your commitments. The other thing is, is to prioritize. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do everything. And so, you know, what are the things that we really need to take care of? What are the essentials? And those things in your strategic plan may have to be pushed off, but reprioritize with your teams around what the, the mission is right now and focus on those things first. Let me stop there and see if yeah. I'm getting. No, that's all great advice. And um, I mean, one of the things that Solomon and I actually were talking about earlier today mirrors a lot what you were saying regarding the leadership when you're talking about, you know, basically do all the things that you are supposed to do all of the time, right? And I almost think that in some scenarios, I don't want to say that this is a, a blessing in disguise, but a good leader should have been doing all of those in the first place, right? And we talked about it from a marketing perspective. You shouldn't be thinking in such a transactional base, right? You should be thinking about as a marketer, how do I provide value to my potential customer from an end-to-end customer experience, right? So your marketing should have always been that way. Now with this pandemic about, and you know, people are under the assumption that, okay, sales can't necessarily happen. So from a marketing standpoint, it's like, well, let me just get positive messaging out there. Let me help my potential customer. And let me make sure that when this is over, they remember that we did a great job in servicing them. And again, that should have been the case from the beginning. So I think a lot of good things can come from this. Like you said, from a leadership perspective, you're going to find out who you have in charge and what they're really made of, right? And that's what they should have been doing the whole time. But I think whenever we see a you know, a continuous economic, you know, growth pattern, people can kind of ride the coattails and maybe not do such a great job. They're just benefiting from positive circumstances that that we have out there. And now when we have, you know, everything kind of going a little bit crazy, all of a sudden, the people that have been doing the right things all along the way, I think those are the organizations, the companies, the healthcare systems, whatever industry, and those are the ones that are going to rise to the top. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think, you know, now is not the time to, you know, abort all those things. Right. I, I think, you know, from a success standpoint, when you look at what companies are doing really well and which ones aren't, you know, the extension of kind of leadership's traits. And when I talk leadership, I'm not talking just about like CEOs. I'm talking about marketing leaders, healthcare leaders. I'm talking about functional leaders. I'm talking about people who need to be in a position to guide and steer and provide context and direction. And to your point, you know, now is not the time to just hunker down and shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a lot about the silver linings. And I think you talk about that a little bit is now is the time for just open and clear communication and listening. One thing that a great leader could do right now is, is just listen 
to the environment. Listen to your customers. Listen to your patients. Listen to your your buyers. Your employees. Your employees, because they're going to come up with things and they're going to find the silver linings that you might not have been able to see because of this reaction. And then the clarity of communication about giving them direct guidance and freedom and flexibility to do things differently right now versus saying, well, we can't do this, so we got to shut it down. And one of the examples that in uh, maybe that relates to your space is, you know, rather than having a sales team that is basically saying, oh, we can't really sell right now, you know, you're all working at home. What is it that you can do? Well, you, you're all thought leaders. Mm-hmm. You're all creative. You all have an ear. Call your customers and just yeah. listen. Be an ear for what they need and bring some of that data back into the organization about how we can retool and re-engineer to be of more response. And then how can we communicate more effectively and build brand? Great companies strengthen brand during times of crisis. They don't let the circumstance deteriorate their brand. They step into it. They redefine and, and reinvest. They push forward their brand and allow their brand to carry through. And so that's a deeper investment in marketing and outreach and content development and getting the message out there that needs to be. It may change the, the message a bit, mm-hmm. but it supports the whole of your mission and your vision as a company and reinforces the brand. And so you know, effective listening, effective uh, clarity of communication, and then looking for these silver linings that am- might allow you to rethink how that could be done. I, I got off the phone yesterday with a, a guy and very similar to a conversation that we've had before. He's ready to shut down his company. And He's just like, not shut down permanently, but close yeah. down, lay off all of his staff. And he said, uh, we have the ability to make devices, personal pr- protection equipment for healthcare workers. I have to reconfigure my organization. But if I do that, I get to keep 50 people working and we get to contribute to the cause and keep a revenue flow. And, you know, so it took him a week to reconfigure and they're out there producing facial masks, mm-hmm. the, the shields. And other devices, and they're now they've got staff that are employed, and it was a creativity. It was a listening to the market. It was a sensitivity from his values that he didn't want to leave the country unprotected, but he didn't want to leave his employees out of work. Right. That just created a clearing to do something dramatically different, and that's the kind of ingenuity that we have the time for right now. Yeah, we had scenarios. I wanted to 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 bring up with you. Sorry, Solomon. Yeah, one of the exact scenarios I wanted to bring up was. You know, when is it time to double down and know, okay, let's stay true to our values as an organization and what we do, right? Because we always talk about from a you know business perspective, like don't try to do too many things. You can't be all things to all people. Do what you do and do it really well. And now we're in this, you know, crazy scenario. When is it time to, you know, pivot, right? As the the name of your organization kind of alludes to, when is it time to make that pivot? And, you know, how do you know where to go in in a scenario like this? Great question, and I think it's it's nuanced a little bit about you know, knowing what industry you're in, sure. what what offering you have, because the worst thing that we can do is is go too aggressively at organizations that, quite frankly, are inundated and are trying just to keep their you know their their focus on you know selling into hospitals right now is very tough. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't be of value. So doubling down on your commitment to what you want to deliver maybe may mean doubling down on education, information, sharing, resources, support. You know, our folks, quite frankly, right now, we actually set up just a, a free access for hospital leaders to call us, you know, free to say, you know, I'm dealing with stress. I'm dealing with anxiety. Who can I talk to? Well, why not talk to somebody who's been a CEO for 40 years who's yeah, dealt with yeah. hurricanes and floods and tornadoes and crisis to say, you know, I get you, I feel you, and we're here for you. We don't have to charge for that, but it keeps our brand very strong. We're doubling down on our commitment yeah, to the yeah. field. We're putting out a lot of content on education and leadership to just let people know we care and we support them. And that's the kind of stuff that we can do as companies to ride out, but also position us for next. And there will be, there's always an outcome. There's always a next wave. And if we hunker down too much, then the next wave defines itself and we may not be a part of it if we've not thoughtfully kept ourselves at pace with or slightly in front of, you know, where this where these situations are going. Yeah, I think one of the things you said is to over communicate. And that's exactly what I think companies have to do, right? You have to over communicate 
not just outwardly to your prospect and your customers, but internally as well. Because like those employees at that company, they're wondering, well, do I have a job? You know, this is for a leader, especially trying times to let them know what's the vision? Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? And, you know, and so that you can actually withstand, I guess, some of these uh, challenging times. Absolutely. Communication is, you know, when we talk to the folks and leaders about what they're doing and what they're recommending to their peers, it's the number one. It's communicate, communicate. But there's a caveat in, in the communications. You know, we, we always, to your point, you know, lack of communication creates interpretation and interpretation you lose control of. And so when you when you leave staff or leave customers or leave the marketplace void of clarity, it's chock full of interpretation. Yeah. And then your brand suffers, as you guys know. And so the communication is a steady drumbeat, but it, it, it's a sense of transparency, but also a, a sense of, of tr- it's got to have truthfulness to it. You don't want to create at this time fake optimism. You don't want to go out and say, just, hey, guys, everything's going to be great. <laughs> you know, we're going to get through this. It's going to be wonderful. And, uh, you, know, you know, thank you guys for doing what you're doing and the sacrifice. But, you know, we got this. We got you know, you will lose instantly the credibility and trust of your teams and, and everybody around you. So having the humility and the connection to your own values around truthfulness, that we own this situation. And I got to say, you know, people, there will be a time where we have to deal with staffing issues. Mm-hmm. There will be a time where we have to make significant cuts. And I hope you understand that and, and the why and provide the clarity and provide the communication and the, and the detail in a very transparent and, and humble and honest and truthful way, your staff will be with you. They understand the circumstance. They don't understand the, the fake optimism. Yeah. And so, and it will happen, you know, for, in a lot of organizations. So, so, you know, people always say the, you know, the, the old sayings is they, uh, they may not remember, you know, what you said, what you said, but they can remember how you said it and who, who were you being at or the time? How you and, felt, how they felt. How they felt exactly. exactly. It's the visceral connection to the integrity and the honesty of the, of the leadership, and that's that's important. It's critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, and you made some great points about the I guess individual leaders and challenges that you would have, like let's say selling into uh, an organization like a, a hospital, right? So I think each industry has unique challenges that they're going through right now. What would you say in terms of like a a company, let's say, I know you work with companies, like I said, that are in the healthcare space, but not necessarily a healthcare system, right? They're a medical device manufacturer. They have some sort of technology or solution that actually sells into hospitals, right? Or is somewhere in the, the healthcare supply chain. So each department leader in those scenarios, right? Whether it's a sales leader or whether that's, you know, a marketing leader, all of a sudden they, like you said, they might not be able to sell their, their product. So what are successful business sort of department leaders doing at a time like this? How are they managing their own staff? How are they changing their strategy? Are we adjusting quotas? Are we, like you said, letting go of people, focusing on other areas of support or kind of working on the business internally? What are the successful organizations that you've seen focusing on? Yeah, it's a a critical question because I think, you know, we, you can't have an organization that's got its head in the sand, you know, in terms of, you know, just keep going, keep pitching, right. keep selling, keep selling. You like know, no one's answering the phone. No one. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, not only does it not help, but you're actually damaging your brand because sure. I had I talked to a, a, a hospital executive who just said, you know, if they don't stop calling me, I will never buy from them again. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, do they not have the sensitivity of what it I'm seems going? A little insensitive, yeah. To, yeah, to appreciate that this is not a priority. So you know, a couple of a couple of things that people are doing is sitting down and going through their offering, whatever that offering may be, looking for those connection points of, of really relatable value right now. And some of the stuff you have, you think it's critically important and like everybody should love you know, what you do, but is it critically important right now? And then what's the delivery mechanism that it needs to be done? You know, you're seeing a, a ton going out now virtually in online education, online uh, product distribution, things like that. Um, but where is this market going? Keeping an eye towards where the end is going to be and making sure setting our making our decisions both from how we get through today, but also, you know, and some people say in the next hour, it's hour by hour. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? Because the circumstances are changing every hour. 
So what are the modifications that we need to make to our offering? What are the modifications we need to make to our messaging and alignment? For instance, I've been dealing with a, uh, a revenue cycle management company in healthcare who speaks in one vernacular around revenue cycle enhancement, things like that. But the outcome of what we need to hear in the field is, could you use an extra few million dollars in the next 30 days to help solve your patient needs right now? Right. That the how, it becomes less important than the what and, and relatability. So figuring out that relatability of the circumstance right now becomes very important and modifying our marketing approaches and our messaging to move down that path. And then looking at the sustainable kind of outcome of what's going to happen in the environments that you're selling into long term. And are we positioned for that? You know, if you look at hospitals, you know, telehealth and remote monitoring has been around for a long time. Right. And so all of a sudden, you know, and it's been it's been going at a clip. It hasn't right. taken off completely. Well, guess what? It's accelerated the adoption, the respect, the credibility, and it's actually over helped overcome some of the reimbursement models, payment systems, overcome some of the HIPAA issues because we just had to muscle through and make it happen because it was a necessity. So exception and adoption of technology suddenly became the new norm out of this crisis. It was a silver lining. Mm -hmm. So now what you see is companies that had traditional delivery methodologies totally rethinking how to do it remotely, uh, either remote monitoring through telemedicine. You're seeing greater adoption of clinicians who are now accepting telemedicine as a viable option. You're seeing patients now that is the future. So insurance companies, right? I mean, they're all kind of forced to uh, recognize that as a viable solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what else do you think kind of sticks from this, right? That was one of the things I wanted to bring up is, you know, what is a post COVID, you know, world look like? And what does that mean in the healthcare space? You, you brought up a great example of, of telehealth. So what else do you think changes or what else is, a, is an outcome because of this? And, and maybe even what goes away? Yeah, I think those are all inter- interconnected in terms of, you know, don't wait. You know, I, I was listening to, to somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, but essentially it's like, if you're expecting to go back to normal, it, it's not going to be normal. Yeah. So, so if you're not spending the time recreating and re-identifying what your new normal looks like, you're going to be obsolete. And so, you know, I think, you know, in, in you know, I'll take healthcare for instance. You know, if we follow and can continue to go down the same pathways that we've been going down in terms of building brick and mortar, you know, hiring, building different service line capacities and things like that, and we ignore this nuance of remote and telehealth mm-hmm. and uh and how how patients are now are going to be more comfortable with that you know we could we could waste a lot of money time and, and energy cr- in creating old um approaches in a new environment so i think part of the recommendation there is to is to, as hard as it is right now as hard as it is to imagine stopping you know it, it's this parallel track of how do you take care of today while having a keen eye towards the future. And it's stuff that we kind of do all a, a lot anyway. We, to your point earlier, we should be doing some of this stuff all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Some do it, some do it well, others don't. And But having one eye towards the future at all times uh, as, you're, as you're thinking about your strategies will allow you to make decisions today in the moment that will have uh, longer-term implications that, you set, that set you up for success. And so those companies that are that right now have identified what future growth looks like and they're spending time creating and architecting future growth will have a better chance of success than those that are playing defense or trying to stay the course and you know this is what they do. they're going to wait it out or try to muscle their way through they won't have the same degree of success yeah. Yeah. I almost look at this as like an accelerant, right? It's like all of these changes were inevitable. Like you mentioned, telehealth, I mean, it's kind of been inching towards, you know, becoming a, a real reality for everybody to receive, you know, healthcare in that capacity. But it's just, well, you know, it's not, the pain wasn't big enough, right? There was no real need for you to not leave your house. And now something like this, now you start to see the benefits. I mean, we've even talked about it from a uh, you know, an operational perspective, and we have about a 50 employee organization. And all of a sudden, overnight, we we had to go remote. And we started asking ourselves, you know, do we really need, 
you know, three offices and all of that, you know, additional headache and expense, right? Or, or can we, you know, invest into technologies like we're doing right now and just get our job done anywhere in the world, which then opens up additional benefits of hiring, right? There's no borders when it comes to hiring. We don't need to have people within a 10, 20 mile radius. We can find the best of the best, you know, anywhere in the world. And I think the same thing is going to happen to every industry. Like you said, if, if people are paying attention and looking at, how do we how do we move forward from this? How do we adapt to this new world rather than let's let's wait this out and just go back to business as usual? Those are you know that's the big difference, right? In a, a successful outcome and a, an unsuccessful one. Absolutely, and you and you hate to you hate to see use crisis yeah, you know, right. as an accelerant, but it is. And I think you're right. We you know that we we talk about using finding the silver linings, and that's what it's really about is in these times. And I think you're exactly right. The way business is conducted, I think you're going to see a, a lot of change in a lot of different industries, the restaurant in- industry, the grocery industry, all the uh, home delivery kind of folks that have migrated towards home delivery and, you know, the consumer comfort now, yeah. the, conf- the consumer confidence and comfort of being able to take take advantage of those services. And I think the employer, to your point, uh, the employer confidence that, you know, maybe we fought this kind of remote uh, workforce for a long time, have been forced to kind of be exposed to it, find the technologies, find the workflow, find all the, the ways to work effectively that way. And that will sustain. Some of them will go back, but a lot of them will will sustain, which then creates in our workforce a whole new category. Yeah. You know, and it's going to allow people to be retrained and repositioned for being successful in different ways. Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated because you're not getting enough inbound leads? You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified? Or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, right? Businesses go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes. Uh, maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation, or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms. Talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at OneIMS, and especially with this podcast, is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right, so thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. Um, I was asked by a group of CEOs to just find find me, you know, there's digital assistants, find me remote assistants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to use Zoom. I don't know how to use the webcams and I don't know, I don't have the technologies. So have somebody at my call that I can just have in my house in 10 minutes and, and get me out. <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's, it's going to create cottage industries, you know, yeah. on this stuff, which, you know, it happens. And then I think we need to be open to and embrace the opportunity. Yeah. And one question I had for Tony is, do you think the healthcare will be ready for something like this in the future? Right. Obviously this caught us by a storm. And obviously we learned that we couldn't really support all the patients that came in and had to turn, you know, all these places into semi-hospitals. So how do you think that's going to happen, in, at least to your knowledge? Well, I think, to my knowledge, I think it's the question. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> I don't think there, anybody knows or could have you know, predicted. But I think, you know, I'll try to answer that question. But before I do, you know, I've been in around this, this industry for a long time. The, the type of collaboration, coordination that's happening across healthcare systems right now is unprecedented. Again, silver lining. If we don't learn from it in terms of staff resources, training, education, supply chain management, data, you know, then, you know, shame on us. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you know, the ability to predict some of this, you know, a potential and future crisis should be a focus area. And I think Rather than hoarding data, I think you're going to see an openness around the health system and with government and suppliers and others to create an openness and transparency to look for trends, to look for potential vulnerabilities. So that's one. But I think, you know, there's some societal 
vulnerabilities. I think there's government vulnerabilities. There's corporate vulnerabilities that all have been exposed. I think healthcare, because of where we sit, has been the recipient yeah. of a lot of this stuff, and it's the, the spotlight has been sh- you know shined on us. But I, I'll tell you, I'm I'm actually involved already in several initiatives around how do we ensure supply? How do we make sure that we're not bidding against each other yeah. for masks and gowns and, and very simple objects and we're, you know, puts us at, at, you know, conflict with each other. So there are national and international concerns already being discussed to, to create mechanisms to, to fix the supply chain kind of issues. And then also just staffing, you know, collaboratives and how do we make sure that we've got the right staffing, new staffing models, incentives, all these things are going to be, you know, have to be, you know, re reevaluated and examined for opportunities for, for growth. Will we be 100% prepared? It's hard to say because we don't know what the next crisis will be. But I think, you know, the outcome will be, you know, we will be better prepared, much like after 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, are we impenetrable by any other type of crisis like that? No. But we put in a lot of safeguards and a, and a lot of systems to help. I think healthcare will be the same way. I think society will be the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be one of the most interesting things for me is what's done. I mean, we've talked about this, Tony, a, a lot where hospitals in particular are in a unique position where they are a business, right? And they have to be run as a business. They need to be profitable. And so things like excess inventory and all those kind of things aren't typically held by an organization, right? Because it wouldn't make sense. It'll be interesting to see what happens, as you mentioned, to the entire sort of supply chain there. If people will spend extra cash on extra inventory, even if it seems unnecessary. I mean, the fact that we didn't have enough ventilators and enough masks and, you know, in some cases, even enough beds, it should be eye-opening. And, and like you mentioned, the typical thought process of, you know, we're, because we are a business, then we have competitors, right? Which seems weird to the general, you know, public to think that hospitals are competing with each other. But now that we have kind of open lines of communication and, and some collaboration here, see how much of that carries over after this is, is all done will be very interesting to me. Yeah, no, I... I think you're right. And, and when you think about the competitive landscape, you, like you said, you, you don't like to think about that in healthcare, but there is. There's, there's, a, there's a, a competitiveness over, you know, patients have options. Consumers have options, just like every other decision in their world. And you see great brands out there that are, that you know, where do you go for the best cardiac care? We could name, we could probably name, I won't. Uh, where, where do you go for the best, you know, neurology? And, and there's groups that come to mind and there, there's strong branding behind every single one of those, those organizations. Where you see character come out is in times of crisis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see the kind of work that's been done over the past, you know, several weeks with these health systems that do compete has been astronomically positive. Will it stick? Some of it will. There will be more collaborative strategies built. I think there'll be more hospital-led initiatives in and around this work and not relying on government for providing equipment and things like that. So again, the silver linings of this, hopefully we won't solve everything, but I think we will advance a significant amount of protocols and practices and relationships to, to ensure that we're as best equipped as we can to address it in a timely fashion. Yeah, well, I hope so. Well, I want to maybe and move away from COVID and coronavirus specifically. You mentioned earlier, Tony, in terms of some of the challenges that you help organizations with. So I want to get into, you know, again, a normal world or post-COVID world. What are some of the challenges that uh, these organizations, either healthcare systems or someone who is sort of selling into healthcare systems, what are some of those challenges that they have from a, a sales, a branding, a marketing perspective, or just an, an operational standpoint? And then, of course, where does Pivot come in to help solve some of those challenges? Yeah, it, it, it really depends. It's a good question because, it, you know, I'd have to kind of frame kind of segments of business enterprises there because we work with a lot of startup companies. We work with a lot of kind of midsize and then very large companies, and they're all dealing with different aspects of their business. And, you know, you take the startup operations and with all respect to everybody that's been an entrepreneur, I've won. We all believe our ideas are great. We all believe that everybody wants to buy what we build and we run with just vigorous passion 
towards funding and we find our, our compadres that have like-mindedness around bringing this product to market. We go after it. And then when we find several of them kind of like, you know, a while later scratching their heads, like, why doesn't anybody love us? Mm. Why don't they buy our product? And it's the nuance of the market dynamics that not, weren't necessarily always contemplated in the how we go to market. And there are, you know, healthcare specifically is, is a very complex you know, set of organizations and, and there are interrelationships and there are systems and structures and biases that you've got to understand in that. And so that's where we try to help is, you know, been we've represented hundreds and hundreds of companies to try to find the access points and the, and the relatability of these tools and resources to make sure that we're actually solving for something. It may be a fun product, but does it solve anything? Is it, is it a real need that the marketplace understands or was it a great idea? Playing off that a little bit more is, do you have an infrastructure, a, a company, an operation that's structured for, for long-term success? And how, how many times, and you guys have probably seen this, where a startup company will, you know, so in the healthcare, this, is, this is, happens a lot. Well, I found this clinician who gives us instant credibility. He's going to be our chief marketing officer. And he's got a lot of relationships out in the field. So he's now going to lead our business development ex- efforts as well. And then six months later, he's tapped all of his relationships and we don't know where we're going. Right, right. It's not sustainable. Yep. And so, you know, we counsel on strategy, on sales strategy and collaborations and partnerships and distribution to make sure that what you're doing is strengthening brand, strengthening position in the marketplace. And that's where, you know, folks like you guys can be very valuable with organizations that can make investment in the creation of of relatability and relevance to that product and position that company as a thought leader and not just somebody that's in it for the short term to buy in and buy out. Mm-hmm. And we, we see that all the time. And then, the, the, you know, the, the final part of kind of in that in that startup phase is is leadership. And, you know, I have a leadership bias. I have a culture bias around creating sustainable organizations and entrepreneurs specifically. If I'm a technical person, I'm a scientist, I'm a developer, I'm an engineer. I maybe not run a company before. And if I don't understand the nuances of what it takes to lead and create the right motivation and context for people, as soon as you start hitting those walls, it threatens the very threads that hold those teams together. And if you're not a commitment-based, if you don't have a set of commitment-based relationships within your organization, what happens? Well, you're not making money. Yeah. There's this promise of equity. So, okay, but it's, it's loosely you know, pulled together. So having leaders that really know how to engage, motivate, and move people towards a future, but also be able to have the agility to manage and lead people through the inflection points of being a startup, the yeah. tough times, the good times, the hard times, to keep them focused on that. And so we do a lot of leadership work with those kind of companies. And then, you know, as you scale up into some of these larger, it, it's a lot of the same issues, but some of it's products that need to be re-engineered because we've we've rested on our laurels a little too much. We've been a market leader, but understanding the transformation that's occurring in your market, understanding where the market's going, and are we still and are we continuing to be set up for that future, or is our brand related to being old, static, and tried true, but the market's looking for something much more dynamic? And when you think about even in healthcare with remote patient monitoring and telemedicine and all these digital platforms, if I'm a pretty traditional organization with no digital strategy, maybe I'm not set up for the future that the market wants me to be. I have a great product but how can we reconfigure and realign in a digital environment that makes you even more relevant and purposeful for your audience? And then the same kind of cultural aspects of making sure those team dynamics are in place to to kind of have those honest conversations. It's easy to have honest conversations when things are good. It's tougher to keep it out of the the blame games and and some of the finger pointing, but really how do you draw upon the best of people at the the worst of times is, you know, the work of of a great leader. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of some of the work that we do. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, that the story is something, like you said, that we hear all the time. And from a marketing perspective, a lot of times that's like the last ditch, you know, Hail Mary effort is, like you said, let's put together a great marketing campaign that will solve and put Band-Aids all over, over all these other issues that we may have when we don't really have a, a better process or a better product. Said we don't have a unique set of skills or, or team structure that's going to set us apart. We just need, you know, to throw some paint on this and, and we'll be okay. And like you said, the sustainability is really the key there. You know, 
you could run a great campaign, but you know, if you get some customers and you can't do the work or you sell some product and people aren't happy with the quality or, you know, the the response time or whatever it may be, it's just not going to be sustainable for you. So I think having someone like you or your organization come in and basically force people to kind of look in the mirror and say, Hey, are we really the best version of what we're trying to be? Do we have some flaws? Where can we fix that? Is it time to to pivot? Is it time to bring someone else in, in terms of a leadership? Can we work with what we have? Uh, how do we improve this? And then from there, what is our go-to-market strategy? What is our brand positioning? What is our value? And then how are we going to actually effectively communicate what that messaging is to our audience in order to acquire customers, right? And too often we see people come in at that final step where how do we communicate this to our clients? And, you know, we're kind of forced to work backwards from there and make them go through similar exercise of, well, what, what are you going to communicate and why is this better than what they're currently doing? Is that pain point, you know, big enough? How are you better than the 5,000 other people that are, you know, selling to this, this market as well? And a lot of times they, you know, maybe don't want to hear that from a, a marketing or, organization, but I, I think it's all extremely, extremely beneficial. Yeah, I, I, exactly. And I indulge me in a little bit. I, I think, you know, a lot of the companies that we are familiar with or we work with or have worked with and see, we all get hung up on the on, on us. Mm-hmm. This is what we create. We're really good. We're brilliant. Yeah. We've got the best this. It's this fast. It's this speed. You know, you, me, and, every, me, me. you and everybody else. Yeah. And so, you know, a, a great kind of colleague who was on, on my board at uh, the American Hospital Association and he, you know, before the Simon Sinek kind of, you know, why campaign, he, he would always just grill me on strategies. It's like, okay, we want to work on broadband technology, you know? And he's like, why? Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't give up. I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's going to get more speed and capacity so we can have digital images and digital radiology and all this stuff. And, but why? You know, well, because uh, the current systems are broken and all this stuff, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then when I'd say, because, you know, if you can read, you know, if I can provide instantaneous response to a patient's circumstance right there at that time and not let them go home for 10 hours, anxious, fearful, and, you know, don't we want that? Mm-hmm. That's why. Right. If, if you take it in healthcare, all the way down to the patient being cared for better, saving lives, you know, take every conversation. So every product in healthcare can be actually related back to what the impact it is down to the patient level, every single one. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's a financial product, a financial tool, it has a relatability. If you can find that that connect point, the synapse that's gonna be visceral to people. Most leaders in healthcare go into healthcare for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they go, I could be the CFO at a, you know, an auto dealership. I could be the CFO at a hospital. I'd go to the hospital because I have a, an emotional connection to caring for people, most of them. Yeah. And so when you can draw upon those kind of connect points and not just that we're the biggest, baddest, fastest guy around, you and everybody else, everybody makes the same promises. But you got to get that visceral and that close to your customer. But you can't do that overnight. That's not a one-time message. That is a branding. That's a positioning that a lot of people lose in their pursuit of bigger, better, better. Mm-hmm. And you have to believe it, right? You have to live it. It's not just a slogan or a tagline that you throw up, you know, on your letterhead or, you know, on a billboard, right? It's, if you're not committed to whatever that value is and working, you know, from the top down, or you could look at it and say from the customer, right? Put the customer, we always talk about being customer centric, which yep. is exactly what you're talking about. Everything from the marketing, the service, the sales, all needs to be with the customer in mind. And if you're providing a better end-to-end customer experience, then all of those other things are going to take care of themselves. Because if that's the first question that you ask whenever you do something, like you said, why? why? How does this benefit the customer, right? If you put yourself in the customer, in the patient's shoes, why would they care? Like you said, why do they care about how fast your internet connection is? I really don't. I don't know how that benefits me and it's not going to resonate with me. But if yeah. I understand that I can you know, be in and out in five minutes or I can get quicker test results, which means I can you know, catch possibly, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, deadly diseases or whatever it may be ahead of time and get out in front of it, then I, I might be more uh, inclined to, to listen to what you have to say, right? Because it, I care about the outcome of, of my own healthcare treatment. Yeah. And I think the important connection to the work that we do that you're, that you're pointing to and is that connection to do we, do we actually live what we say? And that, that, that's a leadership question. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if we're not authentically connected to our mission and vision as leaders, it becomes transparent and disingenuous to people. It's like if you're totally economically motivated and your actions follow that path and don't align to what your marketing literature says, that collision will be uncovered very quickly. So we have a very trite saying, and I'm, you know, you guys know me, I'm a, I'm a king of trite saying sometimes, but, you know, people would say that, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. I, I like to say culture and strategy should be dining together in a very nice restaurant. Sure. Yeah. They need to go hand in hand. It's not that one dominates the other, is that without either one of them, you can have a great culture with no strategy. Yep. You can have a great strategy with no culture. They both fall apart as, as rapidly. Yep. So they need to be, they need to be locked tight. And that's why the work that we do we actually deploy cultural work and team building, high-performing team building dynamics in every strategic planning initiative that we do. It's or, not or too much culture and not enough strategy. Absolutely, absolutely. It'll be a great fun, fun organization. Exactly, it's a, it's a buzzword. Doesn't make any money. Exactly, it's a buzzword. So how do you combat the opposite, right? Because one of the things that we see a lot is the strategy is there. People recognize they need help with strategy, right? So they'll go out and they'll invest in, you know, someone like us to put together a marketing strategy or a sales strategy, or they'll work with someone like you to say, okay, here's how we're going to change in terms of a culture. And you have this business plan, right? It's easy sometimes to build the business plan. It's even easier than a week goes by or a month goes by and you kind of just slide back to what you were doing before. How do you combat that in terms of your offering when you go into these organizations? How do you enforce, I guess, the discipline or, you know, the, the commitment to actually make that change. That's a great point. So, you know, one of the things that we do, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody else do this, so I can't claim that. So forgive me, but no one else is going to claim it on this podcast. So you can just there you uh, go. pretend Perfect. you no. invented it. We invented the internet. No, no, <laughs> when we go, again, we do this balance of culture and strategy. So we, we're actually creating the formation of, of high performing teams, delivering a high performing plan to have high performing outcomes. That's our triad. And so if you don't measure every aspect of that, then you're you're not in congruence with what we're saying. So you have to put together the team metrics. And how are we performing as a leadership team? How are we performing as a delivery team in trust, communication, accountability, performance, education, or whatever the dimensions you want to make? And how and are we holding ourselves account to being a team? And, and operating as a team. So we measure and, and we put that in place. The strategy, obviously it's got goals, it's got strategic priorities and initiatives and outcomes. And, and so you have to measure and weight those. The nuance that we create is the value equation. We actually take both of those components and what are your organizational values? And are your strategies and behaviors in alignment with your values and are you measuring that? So I can be really aggressive economically it doesn't necessarily take anything away from my value of being very altruistic in support of my patients or my consumers or customers. You know, that, that's fine. It's capitalism is not a bad word. Yeah. But if done the wrong way, it can be. But if it's done in lockstep with, we have a significantly, you know, wonderful team who's delivering at a high level and there's trust, there's confidence, there's communication and dialogue and exploration and collaboration and all this great team building stuff, delivering on all these wonderful strategies. And we're completely aligned with our vision of innovation and creativity and adaptability. And we can show exactly where they align. It closes the circle. So you can have great outcomes on your strategic plan, but if they're in violation of your values, your brand suffers. Sure. Your, your team suffers. Your performance ultimately will suffer long-term. And so it's that link back to the core who are you being as a company? Who are you being as individuals? And what are you delivering and why? All as part of you know, what we believe is successful strategic direction. Sure. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I want to kind of wrap this up here because I know uh, we've been, I guess, talking for about an hour. But before, Time flies. We, before we do so, Tony, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to kind of give a little bit of a plug, if you will. If anyone's listening to this, I guess who would be a good fit for Pivot? Who should reach out to you? And if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Any company, you know, we are Pivot Health Advisors, but we work in a lot of non-healthcare companies on strategy and team. And so any company that's looking to create this alignment between, you know, team-based, high-performing team-based dynamics leading to high-performing strategies with high-performing outcomes and the dynamics of how you manage all of that 
that's where we're, we're very valuable and we can be of assistance. The other one is if you're just looking for coaching and you want access to a group of leaders who've been in very dynamic organizations for years and decades, in some cases, uh, yeah. then you know we can be of value to help you think through those scenarios and, and guide you individually. And then specifically, any healthcare organization or vendor that's looking to really look at its strategy and its approach to the market and could use, you know, we always say we we kind of bring the market. We can bring the market in a non-threatening, very open, transparent, and practical way to you. So those kind of organizations can find value in us. You can find us at www.pivothealthadvisors.com. You can send me an email at tburke at pivothealthadvisors.com. And we'd love to hear from you and love to work with you. Perfect. And before we go to, I'm not sure if you fully explained the makeup of your team and, and how that's all structured, because I think it's definitely uh, one of the unique aspects of the organization, like who Pivot Advisors is really comprised of. Yeah. It's, so Pivot Advisors is a group of, of uh, core consultants with a, a group of senior level advisors that were actually I think 90% or 80% of them were actually members of the AHA board of directors. They're all healthcare system CEOs, chief medical officers, chief operating officers, or CEOs of other leading healthcare related organizations. So they're all, I mean, and that's one thing where you typically you'd get a, an outside consultant, right? And you look at their resume and it's consultant. <laughs> They've always been a consultant, right? You've taken the opposite approach where you're taking somebody who has 20, 30, if not more years experience in that exact job role that you're looking for assistance in. So I think that's just right there, like I said, really something that's completely unique. Yeah, I, I, the other, then thank you. And, and the other unique factor from a consulting standpoint is we don't have any junior consultants. I'm the youngest, I'm the, the least tenured person on our group. So we don't do the bait and switch kind of thing of, oh, hey, we got this very you know brilliant person comes in and sells you. And then you get, you know, a, you know nothing against it, but a junior staff to come in and actually do the work. Um, you work with people with 40 plus years of, of healthcare leadership experience. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Tony. Uh, thanks for, for joining us today. And uh, we hope to have you back again soon. I'd love to. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a great opportunity. Thank, Thank you, Tony. Yep. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep.